Well, good morning. Pastor Keith got to take some time with his family this week, so you've got me today. I was doing some research, uh, some high intensive research, uh, getting ready for this sermon. We'll be talking about a few resolutions, so I decided to take a look at some New Year's resolutions, some top ten lists, and, and these were the ones that were uh, came up at the top of the list most often. Number one, exercise more. Number two, closely behind, lose weight. Number three, get organized. This isn't my list, although it probably should be. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Number five, live life to the fullest. Save more money. Quit smoking. Spend more time with family and friends. Travel more. And number ten, read more. But everyone knows the real value of the Internet. And that is to find quality memes. So I want to share a, a few with you as we get started here this morning. I don't know. I think I, I will resonate with this one shortly. I'm trying to start my New Year's resolution to lose weight, but my coworkers keep bringing in leftover Christmas cookies. I don't know how many of you are currently attending a gym, but gym goers, brace yourselves. The New Year's resolutioners are coming. How about this one? My goal for 2019, so this was last year, to accomplish the goals of 2018, which I should have done in 2017 because I promised them in 2016 and planned them in 2014. Maybe you're not too excited about the whole New Year thing. And this is what you're thinking. It's almost time to repeat the whole New Year, New Me thing. Or maybe when you look into mirror, in the mirror, this is what you're thinking. Someone this amazingly awesome doesn't need to have a New Year's resolution. How about one more? I don't call them New Year's resolutions. I prefer the term... Casual promises to myself that I am under no legal obligation to fulfill. That sounds about right. Because about 80% of New Year's resolutions, so they say, fail within six months. Some people say within two months. But today, I'm hoping that you'll be encouraged to keep three resolutions. We're going to look at just four verses in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6. 7, 8, and 9, and we're gonna, uh, I'm going to encourage you in a couple of different areas. But just to give you the context as we jump in towards the end of the book of Philippians, Paul's in Rome, and he's under house arrest. He's writing back to the church in Philippi. He had planted this church. He brought the gospel. It started as a small church. It was over a decade ago. They've, the church at Philippi heard he was in jail. They were concerned for his well-being. They sent him a gift. They sent him some money, maybe some clothes or uh, some other things by way of uh, a fellow servant, Epaphroditus. And, and as we read through Philippians, I'll give you the one or two sentence version of Philippians 1, 2, and 3. Paul's greatest desire for the church was that they would experience joy in the Lord. Mostly chapter 1. Chapter 2, he's, he's writing this letter so that they would follow the example of Christ. And then chapter 3, that they would hold on to the truth that they had been taught. 
And then here we pick it up in chapter 4 where Paul is encouraging them in the beginning to stay united as one body in the Lord. And so now as he starts to close his letter, Paul is giving the church a few keys to experience true joy. And so as I think about winding down 2019 as we're about to enter into 2020, I've taken his advice here in these few verses And I want to challenge us to commit to three resolutions that I believe will allow us to experience the joy of the Lord that Paul intended all believers to know and to experience. So with that in mind, will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I pray that Your Word would come out clearly this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, and that we would be thinking of of how we can walk into the new year uh, with You in, in a deeper relationship with You. Lord, uh, be with us in this time as we open up Your truth, and it's in Your name we pray. So as we begin, we're going to look at the first two verses in our passage, verse 6 and verse 7. Resolution number one, I will replace worry with prayer. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's in prison, but he's not worried. He's not anxious. I'm sure he has other places that he would rather be. I'm sure there's things that he would rather be doing than just sitting around in a house chained to a Roman guard. But you don't see him complaining. He's not asking the church to come break him out. He doesn't even ask the church to pray for his release. You won't read a hint of worry throughout the whole letter or even concern. And this kind of peace, this kind of contentment is what Paul wants the church at Philippi to know and to experience. He says again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. The first thing I notice about these words are the all-inclusive nature of the words anything and everything. If we're going to pray before we worry, if we're going to replace worry with prayer, we're going to need to pray about everything. The beginning of this verse could also be translated, be anxious for nothing. There is nothing in this world that should cause us worry. You say, well, that's a pretty bold statement. Do you know my life? How can Paul command us, because this really is a command, not to worry, not to worry or be anxious about anything? I think the answer is simply, he understands, he knows the power of prayer. I think he's acknowledging here that maybe uh, not worrying and not being anxious doesn't come instinctively. But He's encouraging us to exercise our trust in God. And we exercise our trust by going to Him in prayer. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, we have to consider, well, how do you handle the trials that come into your life? How do you handle the unknown, the uncertainty that is sure to come your way? As you think about your life, as you think about the things that you're worried about, the things that cause you anxiety, many times it's finances, right? How am I going to pay these bills? What kind of what happens if I lose my job? How am I going to pay for college? The car's in the shop again. Or maybe it's not finances, but it's health. What am I going to do if I get sick? My wife gets sick. My parents get sick. How am I going to manage when I get older? Who's going to take care of me? Or maybe what causes you anxiety, it may or may not be true in my life, is when you think about your children. Will they turn out okay? If you're in my world right now, will they ever sleep through the night? Will they ever get out of diapers? Who will they marry? Will they be happy? These kind of questions can can consume us. And if we're not careful, they can turn into worry and anxiety. But what Paul is telling us is he wants us to replace worry, to not be anxious, and instead pray. Jesus tells us, Basically the same thing. Here's a passage from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In other words, about anything. What you will eat or what you will drink. Not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Jesus is giving us the same advice that Paul does in this passage. Instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, we are to trust God. They are both teaching us that we demonstrate our faith in Him as we turn to God in prayer. Paul makes it clear that not only are we to pray about everything, but we are to pray specifically. He says we are to take everything by prayer and supplication, that we are to let our request be known to God. Prayer, supplication, request. These all describe the nature of how we are to come to God when we are tempted to worry. We are to go to Him in prayer. This is what we're talking about. It's our primary means of fellowship with God. And Paul's reminding us that we're going to need to look outside of ourselves. We're going to look, need to look to God in order to be relieved of our anxiety. When he says supplication, he's referring to the things that we are lacking, the things that we don't have that are causing us to worry or fret. 
And when he uses the word requests, Paul is indicating that we should bring whatever particular need we have that is troubling us, we take that right to God in prayer. So when we take all those things, prayer, supplications, requests together, we get the picture that nothing is left out. We should pray about everything and we should come to God with boldness. We should pray specifically, especially about the things that we are lacking or about the things that are troubling us. Now, I don't think that Paul is talking about the Lamborghini that you didn't get for Christmas. I don't think he's talking about the bigger house or even a carefree life. But we can and should be asking for wisdom to handle particular situations. We should be asking for strength to endure trials. We should be asking for opportunities to speak truth to that coworker, neighbor, or friend. We can and should ask for understanding as we deal with people who are different than us. We should uh, ask for patience as we relate to difficult people. We should ask for protection from those who seek to do us harm. We can and should ask God to increase our faith, to deepen our love for Him and each other, and to mature our faith. And yes, to give us peace. We can and should ask God to encourage our hearts, to give us boldness to preach the Gospel, and even to convict us of sin. But not only should we pray about everything, and pray specifically. But Paul tells us we should also pray with thanksgiving. Praying with thankfulness in our hearts is a key to keeping us humble as we consider all of the good that God has done for us. A grateful heart is what cures an anxious disposition. You know, anxiety and worry are often the byproduct of distrust distrust in God. And distrust in God is often fostered when we forget, when we don't remember, when we aren't thankful for all the things that He has done for us. But if we come to God and we come to Him with our prayers, our supplications, our requests, with thanksgiving, with thankfulness in our heart, it will strengthen our faith. It will help us trust Him even more. When we come to God with thanksgiving in our hearts, we're recognizing that it is He who is in control of all things. That He is working out everything for our ultimate good. This is why we should replace worry with prayer. But if you look again at verse 7, Paul also gives us a promise that's connected with our commitment for praying. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we pray, Paul tells us that there's something supernatural going on. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
And then Jesus, shortly before his death, he tells this to his disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The peace that God often gives believers, it it doesn't make sense. But it is the mark of faith and trust in him. Again, we're trusting that God is sovereign, that He is all-knowing, that He is all-powerful, that He is always good, that He knows and always does what is best. And so it's with this knowledge and faith that we receive a supernatural peace that is beyond human comprehension. I think it's important to note that sometimes this peace is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that floods all over you. Sometimes it can be a feeling. But Paul describes it, this peace, as a guard. The peace, the knowledge that comes with knowing God is in control, knowing that we can bring everything to Him, that's what guards our entire being, our hearts and our minds. And that peace can only be found through Christ Jesus. Paul does a little play on words here. He's literally under Roman military guard. And he says, well, the Romans may be guarding me, but it's the peace of God that is guarding my heart and my mind. And so while prayer is certainly the cure for anxiety, Paul presses on to tell us that prayer is not the only key to joy and peace. So our first resolution, we said, I, I will replace worry with prayer. Our second resolution this morning is I will dwell on truth more than feelings. Now this may be the most controversial resolution that we'll say this morning, especially as we consider the culture that we live in. Listen to what John MacArthur says about this verse. He says, Paul's call for biblical thinking is especially relevant in our culture. The focus today is on emotion and pragmatism. And the importance of serious thinking about biblical truth is downplayed. People no longer ask, is it true? But rather, does it work? And how does it make me feel? Those latter two questions serve as a working definition of truth in our society that rejects the concept of absolute divine truth. Truth is vital for the believer. We must be Christians who think. One of my biggest pet peeves, if we're being honest, is Christians who don't think. Christians who are just going with the flow and they feel great today. And maybe they're following Jesus, but they couldn't tell you anything about Him other than they go to church sometime. That's not Paul's definition of a Christian. That's not what we should aspire to. Our commitment, what I'm challenging us to do in 2020, is to dwell on truth more than feelings. The Bereans in Acts, they sought out what was true. Jesus challenged His followers to think 
critically. The New Testament is full of passages and commands to harness our mind, to take every thought captive, to give a reasonable defense of what we believe. So as we think about that, read verse 8 with me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This phrase, think about, could also be translated dwell on. Paul wants all Christians, all Christians, not just pastors, not just seminary students, he wants all Christians to focus their minds, to apply logic and reasoning, and to meditate on the things of God. And so as we look at these phrases a a little more deeply this morning, I've put them in three broad categories just for us to consider, to give us kind of a guide as we walk through verse 8. The first is this, I will dwell on God's Word. He says, whatever is true. Well, how do I know what's true? The Word of God tells us what is true. That which is reliable and faithful. If we want to know what's true, we start with God's Word. If we want to know if things out there are true, we compare it to God's Word. And so just as a side note, real quick, this is why committing to reading the Bible is so important, whether it's one of your New Year's resolutions or not. Dwelling on the Word of God is vital for the believer. You can pick up the Chapel of the Lake 2020 Bible reading plan. You can join us as we read through the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. You can download a Bible app that has thousands of different Bible reading plans. You can download apps that even read the Bible to you in different voices and with instrumentation and all kinds of things. I'm sure we can find you a CD. If someone only has a tape deck, I'm sure we can find you a cassette player, a cassette tape of God's Word. In our culture, in our society, there is no excuse not to be in God's Word if you call yourself a Christian. If you don't have a Bible, I will get you one today. You can take the one right out of the pew. It's not stealing. I just gave you permission. Take it home with you. That's why we're here, so that you would think and know and meditate and dwell on the Word of God. Why? Because it is true. And we must dwell on truth more than feelings. We'll get to feelings in a second, but we must dwell on truth more than feelings. But not only should we dwell on God's Word, we must dwell on God's character. The next few phrases here are an expression of God's character. Whatever is honorable, This speaks of that which is noble and dignified and worthy of respect. This is defined by God. How do we know if someone is worth honoring? How do we know if someone is worthy of respect? We compare them to the qualities, the characteristics of God. Whatever is just or right, 
those things that are upright or holy, the things that align with the commands and laws of God, because He is righteous. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, this speaks to God's holiness, His moral purity. So our job as believers, where I believe Paul is encouraging us and challenging us to do, is to consider God's character. And it's not just I only have to look up to the sky and just focus on who God is. That's good. But it's also about living in the world that we, that we are in, looking and seeing and finding and seeking out the things that express God's character and think on those things. And what's amazing is that as we understand and deepen our understanding of God's character, we will naturally see and seek out those characteristics around us. And it also means we are to avoid the things that would bring a stain or mar God's character. If it's not honorable, don't think about it. If it's not just Don't dwell on it. If it's not pure, avoid it. I will dwell on God's pleasure. Another way to dwell on truth over feelings is to consider, well, what brings God pleasure? Paul continues, he says, whatever is lovely, those things that are pleasing and attractive and beautiful to God, not the world, Not the world's definition of attraction or beauty. God's definition of pleasing, attractive, and beautiful. This is what's lovely. These are things we look upon and seek out. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, those things that are highly regarded or well spoken of by God. And then in these last two phrases, they're kind of a, a summary of all these virtues. He says, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. If it would be thought of highly by by God, then think on those things. If it would be applauded by God, then we should applaud those things. If it displays the excellency and the glory of God, then we should proclaim their excellencies. We should think dwell on these things. And as we think about these eight virtues that are listed here in verse 8, ultimately all of these virtues are exemplified in the person of Jesus. He is our example. He's our model. He's our teacher. And what Paul is calling us to do is to imitate Christ, to fill our minds, to dwell constantly on these things, the things of God, the things of Christ, as we seek to follow Him. So as Christians, we must evaluate what we are putting into our mind. In our culture, especially, we must consider the media that we consume. From the music that we listen to, to the entertainment we watch, to the news we listen to, the books we read. This is not a matter of legalism. But it's a call to submit our minds, our wills, our emotions 
to be transformed by the Word of God and to be sensitive to His Spirit within us. Well, why? Why should I dwell on truth more than feelings? Stephen Lawson puts it this way. We must guard our minds because we will soon become like that upon which we are thinking. There is also great comfort and peace that comes with focusing on God's truth over our own feelings. Why is the mind so important? Because how we think is intricately connected to how we live. To put it another way, right thinking leads to right living. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Our feelings are subjective. Well, God's truth is objective. Our feelings can waver, but the Word of God always holds true. Our feelings can be deceptive, but truth is always grounded in love and in grace. Our feelings can be affected by circumstances, while truth always stands Firm. Our feelings can be influenced by sin while truth reveals sin. We can't always trust our feelings, but we can always trust in God's truth. That's why we need to dwell on truth more than feelings. But before we move on to our last resolution here this morning, I do want to make something abundantly clear. Feelings and emotions, they're part of who we are. God has created us as rational, feeling human beings. I am not advocating for a cold and callous heart. I'm not advocating that we just become some robots or ignore, push aside how we might be feeling on a given day. But what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that we need to bring our feelings, we need to bring our emotions, both good and bad, to God. And that we shouldn't forget the truth of the Scriptures, no matter how we are feeling. And listen, for some people, and this may be you, you're dealing with some stuff, some hard things some overwhelming emotions, some challenging feelings, things that you don't know how to handle or you don't know what to do with it and some guy up here saying just pray about it isn't fixing it. And I would say I understand that. And and, and you may need the help of a pastor. You may need the help of a counselor to help walk you through this process, what this really looks like. But what you can count on, what you need to hold on to, is that God still offers you joy and peace as you cast your cares upon Him. My encouragement to you today is if you're discouraged, if you're unhappy, if you're downcast today, is to reach out to someone who can help you see the beauty of God's truth. Someone who can help you see the significance of who you are in God's eyes. Someone who can help you align your worries, your fears, your anxiety, your feelings with the word of truth. You may need someone to help you through that process. This is the gift of the church.
So, so far we've said that we will resolve to pray before worry. And we're going to replace worry with prayer. That we're going to dwell on truth over feelings. And now lastly, we come to resolution number three. I will put what I know into practice. Look at verse 9 with me. Well, you can look at verse 9. Hopefully you have your Bible open. Verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. There are several things that are implied in this verse. If resolution number 3 is, I will put what I know into practice, these verses tell me that I will practice growing in my faith. He says, what you have learned and received. Paul had brought the gospel to this church. He had continued to teach them the truth. And he expected the Philippian church to continue to learn and to grow. And we ought to commit to doing the same. The church was receiving this letter for their growth, for their edification, their encouragement. And he also expected them to receive this teaching with open ears, with a humble heart. Because the moment that we think that we have it all together, the moment that we think that we don't need to grow anymore, we're in trouble. And this is why if you've been around here for any bit of time at all, we've encouraged you, join a home group. Get involved in a Bible study. Come to Sunday school. Find ways to continually challenge yourself in growing in your personal walk and knowledge of God. If you want to put what you know into practice, it's also going to, going to involve a continual growth. This verse also tells me that we're going to practice following godly leaders. Not only do they learn and receive what they have heard and seen in Paul, Paul's reputation was well known. Even while he was away from the Philippian church, they would have heard some things about what was going on. They got to see Paul in action as he ministered among them. And Paul was challenging the church. He said, imitate me. In 1 Corinthians, he says the same thing. Follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's the key to this. From Paul's perspective, Paul was confident that he was following the truth. Paul was confident that there was no hypocrisy in the way that he lived and his life was one worth following. And so as we walk into 2020, I wonder if you have a mentor in the faith. I wonder if you have someone who challenges you, someone who encourages you, someone who you can trust, someone who you can follow and knowing that as you follow them, they're leading you closer and towards Christ. I would also ask you, is your life worth following? If you're anything other than a brand new baby Christian, are you living a life worth following? Could other believers do what you do and be led in the way of Christ? Who are you teaching? Again, if you're anything other than a baby Christian, who are you teaching? And, and this doesn't have to be in a Sunday school class or children's church or Awana, although it could be. 
There are places for you to get involved here in those things. It doesn't have to be in youth group, although we've got a spot for you there too. Who are you talking to? Who are you encouraging in the faith? Who are you saying, follow me as I follow Christ? Are you living a life worth following? I would challenge you, considering joining, jumping into a new ministry this year where you can be the example that others need to see. I will practice growing in my faith. I will practice following godly leaders. And I will practice until I'm perfect. Paul says, practice these things. He doesn't say until I'm perfect. But what's implied here is that you got to keep going. Because I hate to be the one to tell you, you're not reaching perfection this side of heaven. It wasn't practice these things this week or as you're gearing up for another New Year's resolution. Just practice these things. Keep practicing these things. Paul wants to see the Philippians live their lives in accordance to the things they know. Maybe even when they don't feel like it. This is what it means to be a disciple. That's why we're here, to make disciples. And we ought to be disciples who are making disciples. You see, we're not talking about earning salvation or somehow earning brownie points with God. No, we're Christians here. These truths apply to Christians. But we are talking about living a life that is pleasing to Him. I will replace worry with prayer. I will dwell on truth more than feelings. I will put into practice what I know. Not only these three resolutions. There's one other, two other points here that we need to make. What's prayer without thought or practice? I don't think it's very much good. I think it's close to hypocrisy. What's thought, what's intellect without prayer or practice? Well, it's scholarly, I suppose. But again, it verges on hypocrisy. And you certainly shouldn't be practicing anything if you haven't prayed about it or thought about it. You see, these three resolutions, more importantly, these four verses, they come together. They're a package. They need to be expressed together is a continual cycle in the life of the believer. We need to take these things together. But there's good news here. The last part of verse 9. If we will commit to do these things, and as much as we do these things, the God of peace will be with you. That's not what I said. That's verse 9. That's a promise. Verse 7, we're promised peace. Verse 9, we're promised that God will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So take comfort in knowing that as we walk into 2020, we don't walk it alone. That this isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just try harder and try harder and try to earn favor. No, no, no. 
God walks with you. He will be with you. He empowers you through His Spirit as we follow Christ. And so we take comfort in knowing that the God of peace goes with us. He guards us, equips us, and strengthens us as we are conformed more and more into the image of His Son. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I've never been very good at keeping resolutions, but I pray that we've been challenged by these three here in Philippians chapter 4. I'm thankful that there isn't an expectation of perfection, that we're not going to get it all right, but that You've promised to be with us to go with us, that we can handle any circumstance, any situation, that we don't have to have fear or worry or anxiety because we can trust in You. You are the God of peace and You love us. Lord, let let that encourage us as we walk into 2020. And it's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.